what it do, what it do. Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, I am joined by another soul brother, Jacob McLaughlin. Jacob is a slackliner, highliner, leader, inspiration for me, and an overall powerhouse of a human being. He was born and raised in Austin, Texas. That's where we ended up connecting. He and I met at a waterline festival at Pace Bend during one of my first days living here in Austin. And he's been a brother since we talked about it in the podcast. And at the time, I he, he was coming off the high line and I was walking up to the high line. And as he was coming off, I just had this feeling like, oh, I already know this dude. And it's because our souls have danced together for sure. So it was such a pleasure to finally drop into a podcast together. We recorded in his van, Nirvana. And during this episode, we talk about his childhood, what it was like living in Austin, his journey with the slack line, his connection with his border collies and his wife as well as preparation to move into a van full-time. Jacob shares his passion for freestyle highlining, the expansion of the slackline community in Austin, and his visions for the future of the sport. Jacob, my brother, is truly living a great story, and the stories he shares on this podcast are really special. It was such an honor to record this conversation with you, Jacob, I love you, bro, and to all those listening, enjoy. This podcast was brought to you by Firefly Cacao. Firefly Cacao is the largest distributor of ceremonial grade cacao in the North Americas. If you're not on the cacao train, you soon will be. Cacao is one of the most incredible superfoods that we have available to us. It is rich in magnesium and other nutrients as well as being an incredible alternative for coffee instead of having caffeine cacao has theobromine which is also an energy enhancer yet it doesn't have the same crashes as caffeine so if you would like to get some firefly cacao and support the podcast use slack cam for 10 percent off your first order and until then, enjoy this podcast with Jacob McLaughlin. Welcome to the <laughs> Jacob McLaughlin podcast. I have a guest here, Cam Nelson. Yeah. Well, welcome, my brother. Thanks, man. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the line to mastery. It's, uh, it's an honor to have you on. You are uh, my soul brother right from the very get-go. I remember... Coming to Austin, it was my third day in Austin after moving here, and you were getting off of a high line at Pace Bend during the Waterline Festival, which was absolute divine timing when you think about it, to move to Austin right in time for the Slackline Festival where I got to meet everyone, and, and yeah, just seeing you come off the high line, I was like, oh, I know this guy. <laughs> 
I remember getting, dude, okay, so at festivals like that or any pace day, I'm constantly moving around. I don't, I don't stop, you know, I don't sit down. I don't stop to talk to Chelsea. I'm like constantly just floating around and being a butterfly or whatever, just getting on high lines and chatting with these people and then these people. And then there you were. And I was like, I don't know this guy, but I want to know this guy. And we made an instant connection. And um, it was just, like, amazing that you were there at the time that you were there. So, super grateful for that. Yeah. And you got to experience what our community was all about on your third day being in town. Dude, yeah, it was was something really special. Um, Yeah, to just have the opportunity to, to meet everyone right when I got here. And... Yeah, it just, it felt so legendary moving to Austin. Like, it felt like a really big thing for me, um, finally taking that that next step and being like, that's the city I choose to live in. Why did you choose it? Um, You know, it kind of chose me. I was on a 700-foot-long high line in Trinidad, California. It's called the Humbler. And I was 50 feet away from sending the line. And I just got this really strong call at that point that moving to Austin, connecting with Aubrey Marcus and training it on it was like the next step in my human evolution. And that was May of 2018. And it took me about a year um, to like finish up living in my car, go back home. My parents were separating at the time, hold some space for them, make some money and then officially move back to Austin. But I knew in that moment that like Austin was the next step. And that's what brought me out here. And then my first full day in Austin, I actually saw this talk with Gary B and Aubrey Marcus at the Paramount Theater. And wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it was crazy. So I got to meet Aubrey, like, first full day. And then I guess my second full day was the Waterline Festival. What a jam-packed welcome party for Bro, me. I know. I know. It was legendary. So... So yeah, that was that was my introduction into Austin, and now I. Oh, wait a second! Today's the second. Today's the second of May. Okay, so I just reached my two-year anniversary of being Today? in Austin. Uh, yesterday, technically, because I moved out here on the first, but the talk was at the Paramount Theater two years ago today. Wow, can't believe it's been two years, man. Tom flies. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's been a very impactful two years having you here. Uh-huh. Yeah, you've added a lot to the community. Yeah, it's been impactful being here for me, man. Um, I, I don't know who I would be without this this two-year stint in Austin and beyond and, and knowing you guys and and the whole community. Like, my life has completely changed um, within that two years of being here. And it feels like it's just the beginning. It feels like this is kind of like a like a springboard for what's next. And not to say that Austin isn't an integral piece of that. I'm sure you feel the same. Yeah. And with that being said, we're going so far beyond just staying in Austin. Especially together. You know, like we're about to spend a fucking ton of time in Colorado together. Yes, we are. Yeah. So very much looking forward to that. Yeah. So what's your plan when you're in Colorado? You're just going to move in with, um, you know, a homie? no, 
No, I love slackliners, and I feel at this point in time in my life, I don't want to live with slackliners. Yeah, I think Justin's the only person I would want to live with, um, because I I love his professionalism and how methodical he is mm-hmm. with the work that he does. Very disciplined. Yeah, and I haven't seen that across a lot of slackliners. A lot of slackliners are very flowy, and like down to just party and play, and I like want to work and build and create and still incorporate slacklining into my life. Yeah. There's a lot of like surrender, uh, and discipline as like a duality. And so Justin and you, and I would consider myself the same to have the discipline well balanced with like the surrender to chaos and flow, uh, of events. And so there aren't, that's not a combination that you get with a lot of people who are trying to constantly improve themselves, better themselves, have a plan of action to execute. And yeah, who you spend your time around really, um, kind of dictates the outcome of your goals. Yeah. So yeah, that is very important. Yeah. And I'm at this point where I'm building a business and I'm like really strong in my masculine and building. And like, I've been very good in my feminine too. And having that space of surrender and I've come to find that I excel at blending the two together and not everyone within the slackline community is comfortable being in that like build form of the masculine. And I think at this point, um, and then we're kind of digressing. We'll, we'll come back to you, but it's fine. Just moving forward with where I'm going to live in Colorado, at least this first trip, I'm looking at probably someplace month to month or like if I could find a small studio for myself and just do that month to month, I think that would be great. I haven't lived by myself pretty much ever. I mean, like I lived out of my car for a bit, but I was like bouncing between so many slackline communities that it never felt like it was just me living by myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I only lived by myself for one year in college, my senior year. And other than that, I've lived with friends, I've lived with family, and then, you know, my girlfriend, who's now my wife. So, um, that was a super formidable year. And I really enjoy living with myself. You get a lot of time to intentionally work towards your goals because your time's not taken up by anybody but you, if you want it to be that way. So I look forward to that for you, man. Yeah. And your intention while you're out there is to highline and grow yourself as a highliner and to also work on your business. Yeah. And my business is an extension of my highlining. Yeah. You know, like the business that I'm creating for myself is as a redefining limitations coach. And I'm looking to work with professional athletes and stepping into a space of being a professional athlete within the sport. That's very unique and sets me apart from the marketplace, especially in regards to the coaching industry allows me to become very unique and specialized within this one area. Like I haven't seen anyone that's labeled themselves as a redefining limitations coach, but that's just like, that's so interesting. It's so engaging. We all have our own ways. We can redefine our limitations. Like it doesn't have to be just with professional athletes, but working with professional athletes really excites me. So that's where I'm going to set my sights. Yeah. Yes. Good. So yeah, let's, Let's bring it back to you, man. Who are you? <laughs> um, 
great question, man. I'm so many things. You want to start with your full name? Uh, yeah, my name is Jacob McLaughlin. You got a middle name? Yeah, Kane. Jacob Kane McLaughlin. Yes, Jacob Kane McLaughlin. Yeah, real quick, speaking of Kane, the reason why we're on this podcast is because I posted on an Instagram story who's someone in Austin, Slackliner, just Austin-based, that I should hop on a podcast with, and he said you. And I saw that, and we were at Commons Ford, and I went up to you right afterwards, and I was like, hey, you want to record a podcast? And, you <laughs> and know, I was apprehensive. Yeah, I was I like, gonna... shit, I don't know, man. I don't know if I want people listening to me about me yeah yeah but there was some am. slight hesitancy but you said yes well it scared me and but like you know through uncomfortable situations is how we grow as people right so i'm all about that yeah so yeah so i'm a little nervous but i'm having a good time um yeah so i grew up in austin um i was born not and lived not that far down the road from commons ford uh, until I was like six months old. And then my parents moved into Lost Creek, um, which is a neighborhood a little closer to town. And I grew up there my whole life. I went to school in Fort Worth at TCU for college. And then I moved back to Austin because I loved it so much. I mean, there's so few places like Austin where you can blend an urban environment with the outdoors. Um, at least in Texas. And so it's like this gem of all the things that I love about life. And so I've dedicated myself to spending as much time on a green belt and exploring the hill country and finding beautiful places around, you know, the city to spend my time. And I've got friends and family here. And then, um, in 2014, I was, I've always bounced around between like different, um, exercise modalities. I did CrossFit for a long time, um, while I was in college. And then, uh, I did Krav Maga for a couple of years when I moved back to Austin because CrossFit was too expensive to have a membership, you know? Um, and, and then <clears throat> I met, I was on a hike on the green belt with one of my friends and I ran into, um, the dude that would ultimately introduce me to, um, slacklining, like the, the potential of slacklining. So I had a slackline in college, uh, but it was just like a, a Gibbon two inch ratchet line and I would play on that a lot and I loved it. But then I kind of, when I moved back to Austin, didn't play on it that much. And then I met this guy who on the green belt at a rope swing, we were both just like hucking tricks. We started talking to each other and, um, he asked what I like to do. And I listed slacklining as one of the things. And he's like, Oh, he's like, I love slacklining. We slackline here. And I slackline down the, um, downstream at sculpture falls i'm going tomorrow you should come i was like oh, okay like yeah i'll be there um i went and i'd never seen anyone slackline like these guys slackline and they were using um a piece of power line which is um, something that balance community was selling back in the day and it's a piece piece of slack spec tubular webbing threaded inside of a one and a quarter inch sleeve and um and then you just crank the shit out of it and you bounce on it. And so they had bolts, um, in the limestone over the water 
about 90 feet long and um, the like the bounce and the bandwidth on the power line is just so powerful and long where regular trick lines don't have a whole lot of they have a bottom to them the power line doesn't really and um, it just made it that much more fun I remember Brendan Gebert who was kind of like a pioneer in the trick line scene also uh, was using a power line. And so he had some videos out on YouTube at the time that I'd probably watched a thousand times. And um, I wanted to emulate his style. And so I spent the first two years of my slacklining um, journey doing waterline trick lining. And then someone brought a piece of feather, uh, no, not feather, arrow two to town when they were visiting and that was my first real experience with a long piece of one inch line and that was like in 2016 and then I bought myself a piece of arrow too and I got like 150 meters and started setting up you know longer lines and um and then the rest is history I started meeting the guys from uh, Sam Marcus, which would be like John and Andrew and um, Cameron Felgate and um, and then like Hayden came into the picture later. Um, and we started like walking big lines and establishing pace bend and um, that's when my skills really started to take off. It's when people were buying long one inch pieces of webbing and um, Back then, like, 80 meters was huge for us, you know? Um, so that's kind of been my evolution in terms of slacklining. And then now, having Justin around, I'm diving into the world of freestyle highlining, which is a blend of both, you know, long lines and trick lines, which piques my interest so much. And so I think I'm probably pretty well adept to excel at freestyle because of my background in trick lining. So not that I was some sort of great trick liner, but I have the foundational skills down really well. I've spent so much time doing it. Yeah. <clears throat> I can, I can definitely see where the foundation in the background in trick lining is helping your freestyle game. And it seems like having Justin around has really allowed you to just evolve so much faster. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're landing a lot of the same things that he's able to land. Like, I definitely feel you're in the top hundred freestyle highliners right now. Easy. That's a cool thing to hear. You know, I look at, um, so many of these other dudes and, and I admire and look, I look up to, to their skills and abilities and I don't think I'm there, but it's cool to hear you say you think I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. just want to give you some credit where credit is deserved because yeah, you've been putting in the work. I have been a lot lately and you Not have as much the as style, like. man, but I mean like you're, you're creating pathways and positioning yourself in life to where even if right now you're not freestyling as much as you want to, you're putting yourself in a place to where you can. Mm -hmm. That's the whole 
goal of doing what I'm doing right now. I think I've really tried to adopt, um, real quick. What is it that you're doing right now? Oh yeah. Um, Chelsea and I have been building out a, uh, a van, uh, that we're going to live in with our dogs and we're going to move into it in June at the end of the month. And so we bought it last March, March, 2020, and we've been slowly building it out into a home, got a kitchen, a bed, a bunch of storage, bench, a table, big garage space for all of our fun toys and slackline gear. But, um, yeah, so we're going to move into it. I have a remote job. We'll figure out what Chelsea's going to do for work. I'm not worried about that because she's talented. We have so many opportunities in front of us. Um, but the intention is to be able to do all of the things that we want to do, um, which would be explore, um, adventure, slackline, visit places that we haven't been able to visit, um, at the same time as, you know, improving ourselves, um, in other ways, not just free not just slacklining. I want, I have career goals. I have financial goals. Um, we have relationship goals, family goals, but in the meantime, I think we can accomplish all those in the long run with this plan of moving into the van for some indefinite amount of time. And so, um, I want to be able to balance all those things. And I think that's like self care is self care. doesn't really look like, you know, bubble baths and, eating chocolate and watching movies. It looks like building a life that you don't need to escape from. So, um, I feel like it looks like all that, you know, it definitely, like there's yeah. so many extensions of self care. Like totally. the self care you need tonight is to take naps and yes. salt bath and like, for sure. You're, you're you totally to right. Have some dark chocolate. <laughs> like that's cool. If, self-care with some dark chocolate yeah is like prioritizing your life and like really getting clear as to what that is and then taking small action steps to make those bigger dreams happen then like that's also self-care yes amen just wanted a quick reframe absolutely i said it maybe i should have said it doesn't just look like there we go yeah thank you yeah so that's what our goal is, is to be able to do all the things that we want to do at the same time. So it's like lifestyle by design. Yeah. And that's our goal. And it's taken a lot of work to get here because, you know, I'm a 30 year old man with a career and, you know, a family and, um, roots, deep roots in a community, in multiple communities here in town. And, um, so to kind of just like, pick everything up and then make my life very mobile is taking a lot of work. It's taken getting a new job uh, or seeking out um, a new path uh, in my career, um, building out this van by hand, which Chelsea and I have done pretty much exclusively by ourselves with the exception of the help from a few friends. Um, shout out to Becca for helping with our upholstery <laughs> and uh, my buddy Jeremy for making our upper cabinets and consulting with me on lots of woodworking projects. He's a solid dude, one of my neighbors. And I think we're going to get Rachel to paint a mural on the, the wall behind the, uh, the countertop. 
And for reference, I pointed to it because Cam and I are sitting in the van right now. Yeah, the van also makes for a great impromptu podcast studio. Hell yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good vibe in here. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really nice vibe in here. Y'all did a great job. Thanks, man. So, it'll be a lot. It's going to be an experiment um, for us. It'll be two people and two dogs. Uh, I have two Border Collies that I love very much, and so I think they're going to have a great time. And it'll be a testament and a challenge in Chelsea and I's relationship to not be stepping on each other's toes and how to work around all of the unknowns that come on any given day and how to communicate well and um, just all the challenges that come with being in a small space as you travel around without much certainty or routine. Yeah. So what are some of those challenges that you forecast and then how do you see yourself maneuvering through them? Um, the ones that come to mind immediately are like my, our obligations to work. Uh, I've set myself up to be able to do my job remotely and I'm sure Chelsea will be doing something super similar. So, you know, van life for us doesn't look like one giant long vacation. Um, we're going to have the responsibilities and, um, and commitments to like working. Uh, so what work looks like for us and what that flow is like is, you know, mine's kind of transient. I can, you know, work several hours in the morning, um, and then go do something with the dogs, like go on a hike or a run and then come back and do some more work. Um, so mine doesn't really look like clocking in and then clocking out at the end of the day. Uh, mine could be getting, you know, things done on my, my list of to do's and then going to a high line spot and setting up a rig. And then once it's all done, I check back in and I, you know, get to knock a little workout and then do some more play and then go back and do some more work. And we'll figure out what Chelsea's is like, uh, because we don't know what she's going to be doing for work yet. Um, but in this space, I imagine I'm going to be taking phone calls and, um, so Chelsea's going to have to be, um, respectful of, you know, the time I need in here, or maybe I need to go somewhere else. Um, so we're going to need to figure that out. We're going to need to figure out, um, you know, individual personal time, um, and how, what that looks like. Um, maybe I need to step out while Chelsea can, do what she wants to do in the van. Um, gonna have to work out basic routines, right? Like hygiene and cooking and rest and relaxation using the bathroom that's in here. Um, it's just a lot of juggling, a lot of communication and being empathetic to each other's needs and respecting boundaries and, being very open about what it is that we need. Yeah, this is definitely the next evolution in your relationship. Absolutely. And it's only going to make us stronger. I mean, we're already have a super strong relationship, but it's going to be a challenge that I think that we can conquer. A little bit of effort and practice, which we both are willing to and know how to put in. Yeah, it's it's exciting, man, to see y'all step into this next stage of your relationship. Um and be willing to do this work because you know what it's going to create for yourselves. And even, even your relationship right now is 
is something that I'm really grateful to have as a model for what it looks like to be in a relationship and to like have sacred union and to just be a fucking power couple. Um, cause I haven't been in a relationship in like three and a half years and now y'all have set the standard. Like you've raised the bar for me as to what I'm looking for in, in creating a partnership and what I will allow and what I won't allow. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's exciting to say that I feel like that's coming. Don't think I've met the person yet, but I feel it coming and just a lot of gratitude to be able to learn from y'all. Thank you, man. And that definitely is coming for you because when you're taking care of yourself and improving who you are, um, and what your boundaries are, um, you're, you are setting yourself up for success with that person because if you don't, if you're not doing the work, um, now to make you the person that you know you should be in a relationship, then that opportunity is going to be squandered if that person comes to you before, it, you know, if you haven't prepared for it. And you're, you're obviously manifesting a life for yourself where you meet so many amazing human beings that are going to come across your path. And one of them is going to be that person who will also be ready to commit on that same level that you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe that commitment takes some time. It takes the development of like a strong foundation of friendship first before deciding to commit to a relationship. Um, and that's, that's all gravy, baby. You know, yep. like, that's okay. Don't need to rush. No. And that's, the, that's yeah. the thing, man, is that you should just continue to live your life and, um, not seek it out. You should, wait for it to come. I mean, you know, all of our, the blessings that we have in life, I think are like manifested by us. You put in the work, you create and opportunities for yourself. You, you put yourself in a position where the opportunities are created for you, but then you are able to recognize and seize those opportunities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like to think of things vibrationally and emitting a certain frequency. And like, let's say this relationship that I'm calling in is emitted at a certain frequency. In order to bring that into my reality, I need to tune myself to that that frequency. And if that that tuning means I need to step into a space where like I can hold the same relationship for myself as I would for the partner that I'm calling in. And that's what I do first. And I feel like I'm stepping into that. There's still some things that I, like I fuck up with. Like biggest thing is like setting my phone down at night and also choosing not to eat a bunch of food at night. Cause I've used that as a coping mechanism a lot growing up as a kid. Mm -hmm. And now like, that's something that is very real for me that I'm working through right now. And I feel just shifting that, is going to, yeah, it's like that final piece that tunes me to whatever relationship I'm calling in. But it feels like that's the last week in cultivating the strongest relationship with myself. And of course that evolves, but at least at this moment in time, that's what I'm noticing. Back to discipline. Big time. Ooh. And another way to look at it is like devotion, you know? 
like, it doesn't always need to be discipline, but you could, like, be devoted so much to what you desire to create and how you want to show up. Yeah. Yeah, that you you honor it as, like, a very sacred thing that you get to do. Just two sides of the same coin, ultimately. It's like, discipline feels very masculine, whereas, like, devotion, in a way, kind of feels feminine. That you can have both and do the same. Anyways, I would love if you're willing to um, hear more about the Border Collies and, and the dogs, because before moving out here, um, I was connected with John. John and I met, Jonathan Ling and I met in Squamish, British Columbia. So I got to know him and he didn't have Kamiri at the time, but I was following him. And then like a few months later, I saw all the pics of the pups and I got to see a little bit of the pups before moving out here. And as I was like, seeing the border collies i didn't realize that i was going to connect with them so much yeah coming out to austin and it just ended up being a byproduct of that so it was cool to have that introduction into the life of the pups before moving out and getting to know them but i would love to hear the story happy to talk about it man um so where to begin the same guy that taught me how to uh trick line the same dude that introduced me to the world of slacklining uh his name is dan uh he actually has had this puppy uh named Cujo, this beautiful little blue merle border collie and um she's the most well-behaved like just amazing capable smart intelligent disciplined hard-working dog i've ever seen in my life and everyone thought the same thing. Everyone that would watch her is just in amazement. And this is Dan's dog. And everything that Dan does is like on a completely other level. There are people in our lives that um, we come across that maybe maybe everyone has someone like this, but there aren't many people like him um, that does everything just on the next level. Um, kind of like an elite athlete, extremely intelligent human being, talented in all the things that he does, but a little off at the same time, you know? And um, he had had border collies his entire life. And so Cujo is probably his 10th or 11th dog that he had trained. And the connection that they had was unparalleled with any, you know, animal human relationship I had ever seen in my life. And so I had just the utmost respect and awe for, um, this this dog and you know Dan's ability to train dogs and she, they she was always around wherever he went I mean she was an extension of him and then um, some things happened in Dan's life that made it to where he couldn't keep her and so he chose me to like take ownership of her and um, that scared the absolute shit out of me because I had watched for several years like them work together and I never thought that I would have the ability to like give her the life the relationships the kind of like commands and um, fulfilling you know duties that that border collie and border collies really need but ultimately like I think I rose to the challenge pretty well and I took it very seriously and if there were there probably have been only a few things in my life that have, you know, had such a profound impact on the person that I am that have changed me 
the, you know, drastically and taking ownership of Cujo is definitely one of those things. I never really considered myself an animal or a dog person. Um, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love dogs, but I didn't really want one or, you know, have any desire to have one. And I didn't have, you know, good, you know, uh, history with my family owning dogs when I was a kid. And, um, but like, I took it very seriously when I had Cujo, um, given to me. And so over the next several years, like we built a very strong relationship. I learned a lot, um, about myself and about dogs and about communication and relationships with people, but also just like, um, relationships with her. I learned about, um, my emotions and how I should be relaying, you know, information because they're so intuitive, uh, and emotional and observant animals that like, if I slip up when I'm angry and I, you know, lash out at her for being frustrated or for doing something like it's not productive and is actually the opposite. It would harm our relationship and make her trust me less. And so I learned a lot about anger and, um, being calm and communicative about what it is that I want her to be doing or to follow me or whatever it is, all the nuanced things that happen in a relationship with a dog. And then, you know, people recognized how special she was and it had been a casual conversation for a long time that some, they would, people would want her puppies. And then, um, I kind of just like brushed it off. Um, not as a thing that I would actually ever do. And then I became, after I essentially had a list of people that would literally commit to having puppies and I vetted them as, you know, viable, exceptional dog owners who have the discipline and the lifestyle to accommodate, I started taking it more seriously. Uh, and so I was going around, uh, in the back of my mind, always looking at the park where we spend a bunch of time at Barton Springs and at Zilker and on Lady Bird Lake and on trails that were running. Um, when we would come across uh, a good looking male border collie, I would observe his behavior and his owner. And then if I thought it was, you know, worthy enough, I would go up and start a conversation with them and figure out if he was, you know, intact and if that, person had any interest in breeding their dog with Cujo. And most of the time, those border collies are not intact, but a few were, and they didn't pan out. And then there's this one time I was paddling on uh, down Barton Springs towards Ladybird Lake, and I saw this beautiful uh, black and white border collie, and I hollered at its owner, and it's like, yo, does your dog have his balls? And <laughs> 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 and uh and i think they were taken aback by that uh, but eventually you know i got this like very timid yes you know back and then so i like, paddled over there really fast and i was like hey like you know uh, i have a border collie she's intact i'm seriously interested in you know connecting with y'all uh if you'd be interested in you know breeding harper with uh with cujo you know when the time comes and so they were really stoked on it. And I offered them a puppy uh, in in return for doing the deed. And so I called them up when Cujo was starting to go into heat. And, you know, 
they're not ovulating but for a couple days in like a 21 day cycle so i i call i let them know we scheduled the time or left it open ended when it was time and we went over to their apartment they you know successfully did the deed you know once uh, which was a crazy experience to witness and um and then 9 weeks later which is the extent of the gestational period it's only 9 weeks from time of conception to to birth which is really fast and um Cujo had five puppies on Thanksgiving day 2018 I think yeah 18 and so November 20 something uh, 2018, and um, which is a full moon, by the way. I kept the largest male puppy. There were three boys and two girls, but uh, the two girls and the one I kept, Mowgli, all had the same coloring. And it turns out everybody got the puppy they wanted, which is really cool that no one was disappointed. Um, I got the, the large male. John wanted the runt of the litter. Dante picked the other girl. Uh, so John and Dante are some of my best friends. They're slackliners. And then um, our good friend Chris got one of the black and white males. And then the owners actually gave their best friends the puppy that I allocated towards them. And so they got another black and white male. And it was just really cool to have everybody come together from the beginning of the process to kind of like bond with their puppy while I kept them for a matter of... I think 13 weeks in my spare bedroom of my apartment. And that whole thing was a trip, just like raising five puppies. And Cujo did a fantastic job. It's amazing, like, that their maternal instincts kick in like that. And she just knows exactly what to do. Uh, she's a champ. And yeah, and so it was, it's been an absolute delight to raise uh, a Border Collie with such potential and intelligence and like peak athleticism on my own. I got to start with a blank slate instead of just like taking over the, you know, someone else's work. Um, and then it's been fantastic having, um, Mowgli, my, my, my little boy, um, get to have such an impactful relationship with his mom, but also have their entire, you know, litter know each other. And they definitely still do. They know who they are. And, like, Riot comes over and, like, knows our house, knows Chelsea in a way that I think she doesn't, you know, treat other people and knows her mom. And it's just a great dynamic and a real unique um, experience to just, like, have a pack. And I think it's also kind of, like, defining of our group of friends as well. It's cool to have three or four, like highly intelligent, well-behaved, athletic animals in our the presence of our group at all times. I think it adds a really nice energy to all of our hangouts and our Slack sessions. Yeah, it's cool. It's like a deeper extension of family. Yes. Because within the within the Slackline family, especially like this community, this like tight-knit, awesome community that I've found myself within like the dogs are just such an extension of it. And it almost feels like it would take away from the community a little bit without the dogs. It definitely would. Yeah. It's weird when someone shows up and they're not with their animal. It almost feels off. 
Yeah, it's nice because like I don't feel like I'm in a position to where I can raise a dog right now. I don't feel like I have the space in my life. And I know if I connect with any one of you, there's I'm going to get some puppy love for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Mowgli's just like the goodest boy. Dude, I love Mowgli so much. He loves you too, man. Yeah, Mowgli's interesting. He um, has a really good um, like compass and in intuition about, of people. And so some people he doesn't have any time for, some people he's weary of, but then like all the people in my life that I really love and admire, he also does inherently. And so that makes me feel really good. And he's like a great compass for people that I don't know. If Mowgli's weary of somebody that's a stranger to me, um, I'm alerted by it, which makes me feel really good. He's a good guardian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's so playful. Super playful. Playful guardian. Which I feel like that's what you want if if you're looking to to be playful yourself and expand and move. You want your dog to be an extension of that, and you got it. I definitely did get it, and so yeah, having the border collies has changed me a lot. Um, it's made me very responsible and think about not just s- selfish. Um, you know, my, any selfish desires, like I am definitely obligated to their well-being in a way that, um, that like dictates what I, the choices I make. So if that means people are going to slack line at the boardwalk, like I, I don't go because my dogs need attention and an energy outlet and time with me. Um, and if the boardwalk isn't good because it's, hot and covered in concrete and busy with people. It's, you know, I, I just don't go there. Um, I feel their energy in the day. If I'm neglecting them by working on the van for too long, or if I've had a long day at work and we don't go out, it's like, they look at me and I, they peer into my soul, <laughs> you know, uh, they're like just staring at me while I'm working on my computer and I can feel it. And so I'm like, okay, it's time. Like, let's go spend some time together. And so that's helped me with discipline and, um, yeah. And I think it's also like ultimately whenever Chelsea and I do have children, um, having the dogs will have prepared me for, for, for that experience in a way that I'm I'm not sure anything else could. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like having a dog is almost like the perfect training ground for raising a human. You know, if you have a difficult time with a dog, you're probably going to have a really fucking hard time with a kid. Yeah, with a human being. In a perfect world, and let me take that back, reframe. In your ideal situation, what is your time frame for having kids with Chelsea? After... Van, after we live in the van, I think we would want to do this, this whole trip, this experience for a matter of like one to two years. I would prefer probably the two rather than the one. Um, and then come back and find a more permanent living situation, probably outside of Austin. 
Uh, and mind you, this is just based on what I know now. Mm-hmm. It's going to change drastically as I experience all the things that we have ahead of us in the whole van life experience. But um, it would make sense that we move back, find a piece of land on which to build a home and start a family. And then so in a matter of like three or four years, maybe having kids. Seems like a great time. I think so too. Yeah. But, and so like we have a lot of family in and around the central Texas area. Chelsea's got family in San Antonio. I've got a lot of family here in Austin. And so it makes sense right now that we would also find something in this space of central Texas, but I've never really spent a lot of time, um, in anywhere else in the country besides Texas. Like I've traveled quite a bit, but those are for short trips, not, not deep knowing about a a place. And so, um, we may decide to do something completely different, but the ultimate goal would be to have property and, um, turn it into a wonderful playground with slack lines and space nets and gardens and, I don't know, places to host our friends. Yeah. I mean, at this point, you see slack lines in your life for the rest of your life. For the rest of my life, yeah. Yeah. As long as I can move, I'm going to be on a slack line for sure. Yeah, I don't know what form it'll be in. Maybe it'll just be walking long highlands and not freestyle. But maybe it'll be freestyle. I don't know. I could see freestyle. If I'm blessed with good health and no serious injuries, then I'm going to do it as long as I can. Mm -hmm. Same. I believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise for you, man. Um, so playfulness is youthfulness, dude. And like the phrase, if you don't use it, you lose it is so true. Mm -hmm. Like the body will atrophy if you don't utilize it. So we best use it so we don't lose it. (laughs) And, and, and like our systems are just going to continue to evolve so much over the course of our lives. And like this understanding of neuroplasticity, which wasn't something that most people knew about within the scientific community and medical community for a while. Um, because they had the, they had this idea that your brain stopped growing when you were 25. Yeah. That's not the case. We're seeing that you can still create new neurons and new neural pathways up until the day you die. Wow. It just requires you continuing to learn new things. I've watched that in my own, with my own, in, I, I have personal experience in observing that with my grandparents. I have, um, obviously two sets. Okay. So, um, one of my grandfathers is super active. He puts himself in situations that challenge him all the time and they're both in their eighties, but the one that does this and has, and still works and has a solid group of friends and, and puts himself in new experiences is in great health. And his, his memory is like, um, super quick and he's witty and articulate and all, all these things. And then I have another grandfather who, um, kind of chose to stagnate after retiring from his career and, um, and his mental health has declined into dementia and Alzheimer's. And I think it has a lot to do with his personal choices to not continue to grow and learn new things and to challenge himself. Um, 
genetics plays a huge part in it, obviously, but um, to the state in which he is currently would be significantly less um, severe if he were to exercise and continue to work and continue to learn new things and read books and communicate and I don't know. Um, so I totally understand what you're saying and I've witnessed it for the past 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great example. And so it's who I want to, it's who I want to emulate, right. As I get older is who, who do I want to be like? You have two models. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like, what a, what a beautiful opportunity you've had to have two very different models on the spectrum and realize that based off of your actions or inactions, you can grow into either. It's a beautiful thing, man. Mm-hmm. So I want to hear about the Slackline community in Austin and the evolution and the growth of it, because it seems like you've been around since the beginning or like just shortly after the beginning of the Slackline community here in Austin. And you've actually, you've also had the opportunity to really help grow and establish a lot of lines and create opportunities for the Slackline community here. Happy to talk about that. And, um, I wouldn't say I've been around from the beginning. There's definitely a history before I was involved. Um, people like, uh, Dan and, uh, Tarzan, uh, Faith Dickey, uh, Shane, uh, there's plenty of people that have been around since before I was there, but, um, I do feel like I've had, um, a pretty solid impact on the growth of the community since I have been involved. And, um, and so, yeah, I got involved in 2014 and there was just a small, relatively small group of people that were doing it on a regular basis. I mean, like maybe 20 or, or maybe, maybe 30 people that were active. Um, but that might be a stretch. And it was mostly the short water lines and trick lines. Um, I think faith was crushing big lines at that time already. Um, but it naturally evolved into longer lines and then establishing stuff at pace bend is when midlines became a thing. And I started learning about harnesses and leashes and rigging and, um, and growing the, the community through our Facebook page. And, um, then the guys from San Marcos who are also doing bigger projects started moving up to Austin. And then when I had friends that had gear and were down to rig, that's when things really started exploding and we were establishing Gracie Cove, um, which had 50 meters, 60 meters, 80 meters, 110, like one forties. Um, that's when our skills really started taking off. And we were walking big projects, but it's definitely been an organic growth in terms of the community. Um, 
I built some of the best relationships and friendships I've had with anyone in my life through this shared interest in slacklining. And it's all felt very tight knit um, up until uh, not that long ago. And there are two things that kind of changed that. One was uh, an unfortunate series of events with a friend in the community that kind of caused a riff between lots of people um, based around the, his choices and actions. And then the other was COVID and um, people started picking slacklining up as a quarantine activity. And I feel like over the course of six months, the community here took on like a, a whole new, um, a whole new face. It was like, there's a tripling of the amount of interest and number of people that you could see on any given day slacklining. And, um, it's been crazy to watch. And at first I felt almost, um, what is the right word for it? It was like a scarcity mentality about the whole thing. It was that like my spots were, there was an inventory issue. Never before had I had to like, beat out another group of people that wanted to go to my slack spots to make sure that I got my line time. And so I was like guarding my, my lines and my spaces, but that's not the right mentality to have. And I recognized that and changed it. Um, so I see it more as like this just evolution of slacklining in Austin. And I'm happy to see so many people, uh, gaining an interest in the sport here in my home, uh, using the spots that my friends and I spent a bunch of time exploring and establishing. And it makes me feel really good to see that, like, it's becoming a more accepted practice in town because all of our lines, especially in Texas. Okay, so Texas is unique in that it doesn't have a whole lot of public land. Uh, available to it where we can go and just like do what we want, where we want. Everything here is private and all of our access spots for slacklining are either in uh, city parks or, you know, county uh, parks or state parks, you know, you name it. It's all owned and operated by a municipality. And so we get shut down a lot uh, or used to anyway. Um, get shut down a lot. And so it's now becoming more commonplace and accepted and people are, um, that work for the city or the fire department or the police department are just like understanding that this is the thing that people want and that they're going to do it regardless of whether or not that it's explicitly allowed. And so it's kind of like changing the culture of, um, of slacklining being this like rebellious kind of, activity that you might end up getting a ticket or detained by the police for, um, into something that people really enjoy watching and that the authorities just like kind of let happen. Eventually I would like to go back to a conversation with the city to explicitly allow slacklining, which is something that you and I and many others spent a bunch of time trying to make happen. We, drafted a revision to the slackline ordinance and um, to to make, make more sense about the nuances of the sport because 
things are very black and white and written by people that don't understand what slacklining is. And then we also drafted a highline slash midline ordinance that would set up criteria for what is a safe midline or highline practice in, in parks because obviously a slackline ordinance doesn't accommodate to the different things that are required for highlines. And so we put all of that together submitted it to the city and then uh, COVID happened. And I think nobody really thought it was a priority, but here we are continuing to progress and build our, our community um, regardless of whether or not the city's allowing us to do it. And it's like a beautiful thing, man, just to see so many people crushing highlines on a daily basis. You can go to Mopac on any given day and there's almost a high, there's someone there practicing. And I love seeing people out that I don't know. And my one concern still is that I we need to make sure that people are understanding safe raking concepts. Yep. And that's my my biggest fear is that someone you don't know what you don't know, and you can get yourself in trouble by setting up a line or tying in when you think that you know but you don't. And then you end up hurting yourself in a spot that everybody uses and then we all lose access. So um, I think the only solution to that is just hold more um, space for learning and teaching those things to our community. Yeah, I was going to say rigging workshops and also keeping each other accountable. For sure. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool, man, to see even just in the past year, how much this sport is popping off in this city. You know, it seems like there's multiple spots, multiple different subsects of, of this community that go to these different spots and, and train. Um, I mean, you have people that frequent the boardwalk and mainly waterline. You have people that are hitting Mopac and pace. Sometimes you have people just hitting pace. You have people that are just playing with a two inch ratchet out at Zilker. And it's, it seems like it's just getting bigger and bigger. Um, and even as an example, like I've partnered with balanced community, um, with beginner kits and I've sold like well over 25 beginner kits to people just in Austin. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then that continues to ripple out too. So, so what we're doing right now goes further than we could possibly anticipate. Mm -hmm. I administrate our ASA Austin Slackliners Association Facebook page and I do the, the like the admin approvals for new members and I would say every day there's at least one, if not two, new member requests. And we're pushing close to 900 members right now. And, uh, yeah, it's exploding with people wanting to learn and get involved. And that could easily be a few thousand within, like, two years. This place is going to be a hub for slackliners, for sure. We may not have the most beautiful spots to rig, you know, these grandiose mountain ranges with lots of exposure. Um, you know, Mopac isn't the most beautiful place, but ease of access is huge here. I can drive five minutes down the road and have a perfect 65 meter freestyle line 
ready to train on. That's, you know, a minute or two walk from my car. I don't know where else you can get that in the country. There's a few. There's a few places for sure. Yeah. But I mean, like, but that's just one example. Far you can drive down the road to Payspin and have six lines between fifty meters and one hundred and twenty meters. Yeah, it doesn't have the exposure that a lot of other places have, but it has the community and it has a wide variety of spots, um, which is cool. And a lot of water lines, which I feel most places don't have. I'm gonna miss the water lines. Can always come back. Yes, well, for sure. Yeah. But in that, you know, six-month, eight-month period, I will be missing water lines. Mm. I love them so much. Just awesome water lines, because you don't know what kind of water you're going to be around. And if you're already a Holy shit water. Yeah. (laughs) Worth it, though. Yeah. Um, So so where do you see this sport going here in Austin? And where do you see the sport going for you in your life? Like, the evolution of both? Um... I think eventually, and we've talked about, I think you and I have talked about this and John and Justin, um, eventually there's going to be enough interest to support a slackline facility here in the city. Maybe not explicitly marketed or featuring slacklines, maybe a movement academy, but with the primary focus being freestyle highlines, because I think that's the future. I think it's the discipline that's drawing in the most amount of attention right now. And if we can build or somehow manifest partner with, I'm not sure we'll figure this part out, um, a facility where you can get multiple parallel freestyle high lines. That's where you get the most growth in the community or in the sport itself. I mean, because you get people feeding off of each other, constantly training together in a place where you have such ease of access for rigging. Uh, You don't have to drive somewhere and set up a freestyle high line. It's permanently, you know, affixed to some poles inside a warehouse or over a body of water. Um, That would be my, my dream is to either own, operate, or be a part of a community that has facilities like that. And um, personally, I think I'm not sure what the future of slacklining looks like for me in the foreseeable future. It looks like training freestyle. Um, and I'm really excited to get on some huge lines, um, when I go to Colorado or just the West coast or just the Western U S in general, I want to double or triple my PR, which is currently 220 meters. Um, the last bowl or the last, the last line, line in the fruit bowl. bowl. Yeah. And that's just the only, that's the longest line I've had the opportunity to get on. It's not, that's not my boundary. I think I could crush a 400 or a 500 meter in my first opportunity to do so. I think so as well. Yeah. Yeah. You're really strong. Thanks. Yeah. I love walking. I love walking big lines. It's just not something I have access to here in town. Austin currently is limited to, I think, 140 meters is our longest midline. I've set up 150 meters sketchy long line in Silver Park that I don't think I ever want to repeat. But yeah, it's about that length right now. Yeah, I think the only way we can really push that is when we're able to get lines downtown and we're able to stretch 
some lines in between. We need partnerships buildings. and inf- influence. That's what's going to make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. But as far as like pushing the length that we're able to achieve in Austin, it's it's going to require us going downtown and using the buildings for sure. And that's going to be the next level in in our progression. Yeah, I look forward to performance opportunities as well. I think that um, I have a few things in the pipeline that may end up working out, especially if I continue to be disciplined in my training to where like I might, there may be some real opportunities in the next couple of years for highline performances, freestyle performances. So that would be huge. That is something that I would, I would love to pursue. And if I can continue to train freestyle currently, then I'll be ready when the, that time comes. So that's a, a goal of mine as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know how I feel about that. Yes, right. I do know how you <laughs> feel about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude, we're going to be prepared. Um, it just, yeah, it feels way too available and way, it just seems like the natural course progression within our own evolutions that that's going to be the thing that happens is us performing. Mm-hmm. And, What's going to give us the space to really reach that level of performing is having a lot of exposure and a lot of access. And Colorado is going to be what I feel takes us to that next level. Amen. So let's go, baby. Yeah. Man. So if you could put a message onto a billboard for all of Austin to see. What would they say? Oh, cool question, man. Um, a message that's already out there that I love very much and has had a meaningful impact on me is the sticker that's underneath Mopac at the OG Mopac midline spot. And it's not mine, but I think it's apt to your question and um, it's kind of like something that I choose to live by which is live a great story and um, I'm trying to do that actively in my life right now and I think it's a worthwhile pursuit for everyone and what that means is different to everyone Um, and for me it means moving into a van and pursuing highlining and adventure and connections with people in places that I otherwise would not be able to experience. But for someone else, it could mean pursuing, you know, the startup company of their dreams or, um, the guy that spends his entire existence in waking hours at Zilker park in Barton Springs, or it could be a whole host of other things. And I think, Everyone in Austin is just trying to live a great story. And this is the place to do it. Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely the place to do it. And there's a lot of people moving here to come and live a great story, live a better story, live a better life. Mm-hmm. Briefly, because I feel the podcast coming to a close, will you will you share about Wildernets? Yeah, for sure. Um, 
while wilderness isn't extremely active at the moment because there are so many other pursuits going on in my life and in Dante's life, um, I'm sure there will be a point in the future where it becomes an active entity again, and it's something that I spend a lot of time doing uh, because I'm super passionate about it and I enjoy it so much. Uh, but Wildernets is a space net um, construction Instagram account, but also company and um, just artistic endeavor um, where we make platforms, space net platforms out of paracord and rope for people to hang out in. And they're, you know, they can be transportable, small, packable shapes that get tensioned um, as like a glorified, playful hammock, or they can become, you know, permanently installed in a space like trees that is an artistic, beautiful, dynamic uh, treehouse platform. And so I've, you know, I was just inspired by other people's nets that I started to learn the craft and how to do it. Um, and it's something that I can do with my friends that is, um, fun and creative with a huge payoff that we have built something so spectacular, but playful. And so I plan to incorporate nets into, you know, whatever, wherever I end up owning property is that a major requirement is going to be that I can have a net there uh, because it's like, there's just so nostalgic and they bring me back to this feeling of playful exploration and they put you in such close contact with nature and, you know, the ability to just like foster community. Um, those are the kinds of things that I love about them. But space nets are an amazing invention. So. Yeah. Shout out to Andy Lewis. For real. Yeah. OG. Showing the way. Yeah. So Wildernets has some ninja nets installed in different places around Austin. Um, some don't exist anymore. I think they were just so heavily used that they've broken down or squirrels have gotten to the rope and they've busted but there are a few still there you can go go find them (laughs) well man thank you so much for coming on the podcast uh it's a pleasure and that's an awesome privilege thank you for inviting me yeah man i mean when i first started the podcast you were one of the people that i was like we need to sit down for a conversation and i'm so glad we did it because yeah this was awesome this was such a good such a good opportunity to drop in with you and um yeah final thing where can people find you um let's see instagram facebook um my name is jacob mclaughlin my instagram's jacob mcslacken and um if you want to follow the van life journey i can't promise tons of content all the time but uh, Nirvana in transit. So the Nirvana is the name of our van. We're in a transit for transit. So Nirvana in transit. Yeah. Nice play on words. Beautiful play on words. Yep. Beautiful play on words with a beautiful human and a beautiful conversation. Thank you, Jacob McLaughlin. Thank you, Cam Nelson. You the man. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the line to mastery. We will be back next week. 
If you connected with this podcast, with Jacob's story, and you feel like you know someone that would really vibe with it, send it their way. And let's continue to have this podcast ripple and grow and reach more people. I love you all. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful week.